You're listening to the Gates Church Podcast. For more information or to support this ministry, please visit thegates.org. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Greg. I'm one of the pastors here at the Gates. We're going to be reading this morning from Matthew 13, 31 to 35. Matthew 13, 31 to 35. Jesus told another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and planted in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it's grown, it's the largest of all vegetable plants. It becomes a tree so that the birds in the sky come and nest in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast, which a woman took and hid in a bushel of wheat flour until the yeast had worked its way through all the dough. Jesus said all these things to the crowds in parables, and he spoke to them only in parables. This was to fulfill what the prophet spoke. I'll speak in parables. I'll declare what has been hidden since the beginning of the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you again that we can come into your presence, Lord, that we can gather as the body of Christ, and that we can dig into your word, Lord, and that we can learn from it, and that we can be changed by it, Lord God. Um, I thank you that as we as we go through it this morning, that you will change us. Lord, I pray that you open each of our hearts to receive uh, what's written, receive um, these words uh, that that are for us, Lord God, to know you better, to understand you better, Lord. And so we just humble ourselves and, and look to you. In Jesus name, amen. All right, so we're continuing, obviously we're continuing our sermon series through Jesus' parables about the kingdom of God. And I combined these two short parables together, not just because they're short, but because they they actually relate to to one another in their themes. And even though they are short, though, I found that they're also incredibly rich and and deep and and full of, of good stuff. But to be honest, a lot of complicated stuff as well. Um, They're quite complicated parables, which means two things for us. Uh, There's too much stuff to get to in just one sermon. So um, this is part one of two. And I also found that in my study uh, of this passage, um, that there are actually many different interpretations Presented uh, as I was going through this passage, I came to it thinking, "Oh, I know, I know all about this parable of the mustard seed. I've read it hundreds of times. I know all about it." And uh, as I read it and prayed about it, I was like, "Maybe I don't know everything about this parable, or, or the, the parable of the leaven, right? Maybe I don't know everything." And um, so I was like, "Well, maybe I'll go into some of my trusty commentaries and, and check them out." And, and um, they all said different things. <laughs> so. Uh, Complicated, and uh, certain aspects of these parables we're not going to go into today because of that. I'm just not completely confident, to be honest, in, in certain aspects. So we're going to get to that stuff on a later date as I have more time for study and prayer. And um, so again, this is basically part one of two for these short parables, but incredibly complicated parables. And speaking of complicated, then, have any of you did any of you try parking in the, the mall parking lot this weekend? That's that's complicated. That was ridiculous. Um, and yeah, my family and I we made the mistake of of going to the mall yesterday. Um, 
it was crazy times. And, and I, sh- I shouldn't complain because I'm pretty sure that we make this mistake every year. I bet that if I went to my, like, sermon material from, like, exactly a year ago, it would be, like, the same thing. We, we accidentally went to the mall. Uh, we never learn. Um, we think, you know, oh, we just need to pick up this one thing, and then we get there, and we end up spending hours in lines and trying to get out of the, out of the mall parking lot. is just as bad as getting in. Um, enough of my whining, though. Uh, but I also noticed while we were at the mall that the staff there, they were busy putting up Christmas decorations and setting up the Santa booth and all that kind of stuff, right? Which means one thing, Christmas is coming, right? Who's excited about that? Really? Well, I'm sorry to say, but next week, um, sorry you're not excited, but next week we are starting our Advent season here at the gate which I'm excited about because it's a time that we get to celebrate the birth, the arrival of the king of this kingdom that we've been talking about, right? The birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ, when, when God came to dwell with us. This is what we celebrate at Christmas. So I'm excited about that. Um, but when we think back to that first Christmas story, you know, every year when, when we're, we're talking about the Christmas story, what we find in that story is when Jesus is born, Nobody really notices, right? Nobody even realizes that it's happening, right? And yeah, there's some shepherds that show up to worship him. But remember, they, they had to have uh, a host of angels come and inform them of this event or else they would have had no clue, right? In fact, there's only a couple of wise men that didn't even live in Israel. They were the only ones that were actually waiting and looking for the, for the sign of this king that was to be born. And they probably didn't show up until a few years after he was born, no matter what our nativity scenes all show us, right? So what I'm saying is that the birth of Jesus, from the world's perspective, was this small, meaningless, overlooked thing. Right? Mary gave birth to him in a barn, and nobody cared. Nobody thought, oh, this is, this is a bad thing. This is a horrible thing. The birth of the Christ can't be born in a barn. Nobody thought that, right? But, but yet we wouldn't dream of allowing our royalty right, or, or our celebrity figures let their babies be born in a barn, would we? Right? They're too important. But to the world, Jesus' birth was, was an inconsequential thing. And to be honest, so was his death at the cross. Right? To the world, that is. To those that, that were even paying attention when it was happening, his death was at best an end to an, an annoyance so that they could return to their status quo. In other words, not, not, not really many people knew what was to come of Jesus' death at the cross. It was hardly even recorded in history books. Even the disciples had scattered, didn't understand the significance Right? For most, it was seemingly just this small thing that happened to happen one day. A criminal being crucified like other criminals before him. Nothing special. And this, Jesus says, is the nature of the beginning of the kingdom of God on earth. That it's like a tiny mustard seed planted in a field. Nothing obviously special about it easily overlooked, nothing fancy. And to some farmers, it was actually an annoyance because mustard plants tended to grow like weeds. 
This is pretty much how Jesus is described in Isaiah. Listen to this, Isaiah 52, 2-3. It says, He grew up like a young plant before us, like a root from dry ground. He possessed no splendid form for us to see, no desirable appearance. He was despised and avoided by others. A man who suffered, who knew sickness well, like someone from whom people hid their faces, he was despised, and we didn't think about him. Right, like a mustard seed, small, overlooked, nothing desirable, desirable about it, rejected as being anything special, even despised by some. Right? This is the beginning of the kingdom of God on earth. According to my trusty friend Google, a mustard seed can be as small as one millimeter or, or, or as large as two millimeters. Right? That's, that's pretty small. That's tiny, right? You know? Just a little seed. And there are seeds that are smaller than a mustard seed. Jesus isn't giving us a lesson here in botany or gardening or or anything like that. Um, But according to a couple of my sources, there's there's supposedly a common expression in those days that if something was small, then then you would say, oh, this is as small as a mustard seed, right? If something was really tiny, that was an expression that they would use. Um, So again, this is the main idea, that the nature of the kingdom of God has small beginnings, and really, this is, this is a warning here for those listening to the parable. A warning to, to lay down their, their preconceived ideas and notions and beliefs and doctrines about how God's planning to establish his kingdom. I was browsing my, my, my Twitter feed the other day, flipping through, and someone I follow posted a quote by a character named Inigo Montoya. You know who that is? From the Princess Bride, it goes like this. You keep using that word. I don't think it means what you think it means, right? And that's basically what Jesus is doing here. He's saying to them, you keep talking about this promised kingdom. You keep talking about this coming king. But guess what? It's not what you think it is. Most people... We're probably expecting this big move of God to happen, right? Or, or, or this big uh, immediate military uprising to take place as the, as, as the king finally came to them. That he'd build this army so that they could overthrow the Romans and reestablish the kingdom of Israel as a sovereign nation, right? The, the same kind of story that, that we see over and over again in the Old Testament through Judges with King David, right? We see this, this Israel being saved again and again through this big move of God. But it's clear that Jesus is telling him here that that this isn't how it's going to work this time. The everlasting kingdom has small beginnings. He's saying it's not going to be some some big thing that everybody notices, that the kingdom of God on earth will be established with small beginnings. And And so unless you're waiting for it, unless you're watching for it, unless you have ears to hear and eyes to see, like the wise men did, right? then you're going to miss it. You're going to overlook it. You're going to think, oh, that's nothing. That's not what I'm waiting for. And Jesus confirms this idea later on in his ministry when he's questioned about the kingdom of God. And, and, and this is what he says is in Luke 17, 20 to 21. Pharisees asked Jesus when God's kingdom was coming. And he replied, God's kingdom isn't coming with signs that are easily noticed. Nor will people say, look, here it is, or there it is. 
And he says to to them, don't you see? God's kingdom is already among you. So not only is the kingdom not going to be established in the way that people expect, with signs and rebellions and obvious things, right? But Jesus is also saying that it's already here. It's not obvious, but yet they can see it if they truly wanted to, if they were truly paying attention. It's already among them. The mustard seed has already been planted in the field, and people don't even know it. They don't even know its significance. Of course, Jesus is talking about himself in this passage. He's either the one planting the seed in the parable, or possibly he is the seed. Different interpretations. Either way, it doesn't matter. The meaning is really the same. The kingdom has come and is among them because Jesus is among them. He has ushered in the kingdom. So this is a warning for them to pay attention. But in my opinion, it's not just a warning for them. Right? It's not just a warning for those listening to the parable to, to, to set aside their own preconceived ideas and beliefs and opinions about the kingdom. Right? I think this is a warning for, for us as well. Because we can become so certain and prideful and even self-righteous and self-justified in our own personal beliefs and doctrines and belief systems about what the kingdom looks like, about what it's going to look like when Jesus comes again. Right? We can become so sure of ourselves, right? And then we tend to interpret everything based on, on what we're sure of. But Jesus is reminding us here that as we draw near to him and to his word, we need to do it with humble hearts and open minds. I learned that myself even this, this week going through these parables, that I don't know everything. There's so much more to learn as we come at the, the foot of Jesus and learn from him and learn from his word. Like I mentioned a few times in the series already, Jesus is calling us to have ears to hear and eyes to see, right? To have hearts that are open to learning and leaning on him and his word alone. Which means every time we come to Jesus, we should be allowing him, his spirit, his word to shape us rather than to be blinded or held captive by what we think we know, or rather than have the word shaped by what we believe. So it's a, it's a warning for us. It's a lesson for us, right? Especially when it comes to the mystery of the kingdom of God. Because Jesus, as he says in verse 35, he's the only one who can and does reveal this mystery. He's the one fulfilling that prophecy. So first of all, again, this is a warning for us to listen and lean on him with open hearts, not our own understanding of preconceived ideas. Every time we come to Jesus, we should come ready to learn. Not with, not with pride, thinking that we know it all or we know everything. Or we've got it all figured out or, we, or we've heard it all before. Because there's so much more, there's so much depth when we actually lean on him. Secondly, I think it's also a warning and reminder for us that Jesus is also found and glorified in, in the small, 
menial and everyday things or in the small menial acts of obedience that we're called to have as Christians. Uh, Eugene Cho writes, we can be so obsessed with the spectacular. Right, again, that's what they were looking for, this big move of God, this spectacular thing, right? Then he says, but what if God has called us to small, ordinary things? May we still be faithful. May we still go about such things with great love and joy. And it's true, it's tempting to chase after these big moves of God. Right? I know people that, that, that go to conference after conference after conference because they need these big moves of God constantly. They're chasing after these things. It's tempting to think that God only moves in a big way, and if, and if big things aren't happening in our lives, then, then we can feel discouraged, like God's not moving. And God does move in a big way sometimes, but that's not always the way he, he works, right? We see here that the nature of the kingdom of God is such that it can take small, ordinary, overlooked things, right? The little things uh, that, that we're called to do unto the Lord each and every day. Love others, serve others, work as unto him, worship him, go to church. All these just ordinary things, these small actions, and we can see that the nature of the kingdom takes these small things and uses them and, 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 and uses them to make a huge impact for the kingdom of God. Right? Small seeds, big impact that we're not even aware of. So if you're feeling like you're, you're stuck in the mundane this morning, I just, I just want to encourage you. You know, if you feel like you're just, just trying, struggling to live for God day by day at your work or at home or in your marriage or, or as a parent or whatever, right? Whatever it is, if, if it feels like it's useless, like you're not making any difference in the kingdom, be encouraged. Be reminded this morning that this is often where God uses us. And that it's making a bigger difference than you think. And since we're on the subject, even when it comes to big moves of God, right, Jesus also reminds us elsewhere that all it takes is faith the size of a mustard seed. Matthew 17, 20, Truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. And I truly believe that He's not telling us to believe harder when he's saying that. He's telling us to look unto him. So this part of the parable, again, is a warning and reminder for us not to overlook this mustard seed, as the world often does, but to trust in Jesus alone, to place our faith in him alone, to trust the process of this kingdom on this earth and in our lives. But this is also a message for hope as well. Because first of all, it means that the kingdom has come. The kingdom is here. That it will continue to grow and that it can't be stopped. That it will, that it will come to fruition and it will be completely revealed when Jesus returns. Right? Think of that. This is the kingdom that we've been saved into through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're citizens of this kingdom, a kingdom that cannot be shaken. A kingdom that in the end will become so glorious that no one will miss it. At the beginning, everyone misses it. At the end, no one will miss it. When every knee will bow, 
and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But I'm going to talk more about that next time. So enough about that. But secondly, this is, this is also a message of, of, of hope for us as Christians as well, because it means that, that no one is discounted. But the nature of the kingdom of God, again, is that it takes small things and elevates them to glory. And so we see in the kingdom things that the world might deem worthless become worthy. Those that are undesirable become glorious. Right? The lowly become honored. The hopeless, hopeful. The poor in spirit become rich in Christ. The rejected, received and loved. The dead brought to life. 1 Corinthians 1, 29 says, But God chose what the world considers foolish to shame the wise. God chose what the world considers weak to shame the strong. God chose what the world considers low class and low life, what is considered to be nothing, to reduce what is considered to be something to nothing. So no human being can brag in God's presence. Right? This is the nature of the kingdom of God. It's not planted within the, the hearts of the, the strongest and, and the bravest and the most religious and the most pious. Right? No, Jesus came to save and lift up the lowly, the foolish, the weak. Those that are considered worthless or meaningless to the world. Jesus came to save them. To not only save them, but to call them into glory. To call them, to, to show the prideful. That it's not about them. That it's about Jesus. To use them for his purpose in proclaiming and being the evidence of his kingdom on earth. In other words, that this is our hope. This is our hope. This is good news for us because it's not, we don't have to be amazing or awesome to earn God's favor. It's about his grace. It's about his love for us. It's about what he's done for us. Which means it's about simply and humbly coming before a loving God and leaning on him and resting in his grace and growing in his word and working in his strength. And so while the world might underestimate us and call us weak, call us worthless or while the world might treat you as, as maybe meaningless or, or undesirable or, or an outcast or too far gone or too damaged or too sinful or too annoying or whatever it is right you might even look in the mirror sometimes and think to yourself I've got nothing to offer but Jesus disagrees because he says, you're exactly who he's looking for. In fact, he's come for you specifically. And to make that happen, as 2 Corinthians 8 to 9 declares, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. For our sake, Jesus, the Son of God, with all his glory and splendor, he set that aside and became as nothing. 
Right? He didn't come riding in on a war horse with a crown and a purple robe, making sure everyone noticed how glorious he was. No, he joined us in the pit, right? In our refuse, buried in the garden. So he could make us glorious. For our sake, he became undesirable and was ultimately rejected. Right? He took our place. So we could be raised up, so that we could be rich in glory and righteousness, citizens of this kingdom. He became as a mustard seed. But that's the thing about a seed. When it's planted in the ground, in order for it to take root and grow, what has to happen? It has to die. And Jesus reminds us of this in John twelve twenty two to 26. Says Jesus replied to them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. The one who loves his life will lose it, and the one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there my servant also will be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So in order for this kingdom seed to take root and grow and become the kingdom of God on earth, it must first of all die. And Jesus did that. He suffered and died for us. He became as nothing, humbled himself, and died on the cross for us. In order to to earn us forgiveness of sins. In order to establish his kingdom on earth. But as we can see as well, the nature of the kingdom works the same way for us. The first half of that passage is talking about himself. He must die to bear much fruit, right? But it works the same way for us. We're called as well as we follow Jesus to also come and die. Not physically die, but spiritually, right? For the kingdom to grow and flourish within us, we're called to repent which means to turn from our old lives and live for Jesus. As we talked about earlier, we're called to humbly lean on him, to faithfully follow him alone. And then through him, as we lay down our lives for him, in response to his grace, he then lifts us up. You know, the ironic thing is that we always try to lift ourselves up. We always try to glorify ourselves. Like Bryce was saying earlier, he he wanted to be a millionaire and have have all these things and lift himself up. But the moment he surrendered that, God lifted him up, lifted him up, right? That's the nature of the kingdom of God on earth. The weak become strong. Blessed are the humble and meek, for they will inherit the kingdom. So at its foundation, then again, Jesus is calling us in this parable of the mustard seed to humbly trust in him, to not overlook him as the world does, but to surrender to him. And this is a simple reminder for us as Christians, right? But it's a profound reminder for us, an important truth on any day, but especially this week as we, as we do prepare for the Christmas season, where we celebrate the birth of Christ, where we celebrate that that Jesus came to dwell with us. 
So I don't think there's any message uh, more poignant or significant for us this week. To trust in Jesus, to look unto him. So let's truly hear it, receive it, and prepare our hearts to continually receive this king that was rejected by the world, but yet still came to save it. And on that that note, we're going to do that now as we receive communion this morning. But today, we're going to receive it together as a congregation, as we're talking about the kingdom of God. We all belong to the kingdom together. And so I want to take it together this morning. So in a moment, we'll all come forward and grab our cracker and our cup and then head back to our seats. And we'll wait uh, until we're all seated again to continue. But before we do that, the band can come up. And I want to encourage you, first of all, just as you come forward to grab the elements and you're standing in line, and then as you grab them and go back to your seats and you're waiting for everyone else, that's, a, that's an opportunity. You not just sit there and just be like, mm, ho-hum, right? That's an opportunity to, to examine your hearts. Use that time to examine your hearts. Ask the Holy Spirit to search your heart even for anything that's keeping you from fully trusting in Jesus this morning. 1 Corinthians 11.28 states, A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. And drinks of the cup. So let's do that. I mean, think, think about this message this morning. This call to lay down your life for him as he's done for us. Count the cost. And then examine our hearts for things like lingering sin or, or lingering guilt from sin that, that, we're, that we're still holding within or feelings of unworthiness maybe or pride, or or preconceived ideas about Jesus and his kingdom that, that, that might be blinding us to the way that he actually wants to work in us and in you. Whatever it is, truly, honestly, humbly search your heart this morning.